All right, welcome back to the DC Yoga Podcast. My name is Chris Parkinson. We're here at the One Love Massive Studios in downtown DC. Our producer, Mike, uh, and my guest today is Mbaya Binta. Uh, she began her Bikram yoga practice in the spring of 2008 and has been passionately teaching Bikram yoga full-time since the spring of 2011. She has spent countless hours under the guidance of Bikram himself and received mentoring from his most senior teachers. In the last seven years since her training, she was recertified twice, attended numerous workshops and seminars, and gathered most of her experience from teaching a wide range of students on a daily basis. Her greatest joy is the students' growth, development, and overall success in yoga. Working diligently with the students and fostering connection is how she gained her following. And Bia is committed to teaching an authentic, fun, safe, and knowledgeable class. She continues to be inspired by the human will, its ability to heal, and suffering and express itself through the indomitable power of spirit. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here today. Um, so maybe we talk a little bit about where you teach, first of all. Um, it's uh, uh, Bikram Yoga Works. And, Correct. Um, they own how many studios or how many studios do they run at this point? They run six. I work at three of them. Three of them. Uh, Bikram Yoga Riverdale Park, Tacoma Park, and Ivy City, all in the DMV. All in the DMV. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and where are the other, the other three? Are there, there's one in Baltimore. They just opened one in Boston or something like that? Well, they took over the management of Boston, Bikram Yoga Boston. Yeah. Um, they're opening one in District Heights um, and, and Baltimore. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Exciting. So tell us, tell us how you got involved with them. Actually, I went to teacher training with the owner, Kendra. Mm -hmm. um, and when she opened her studio, um, I was drawn to her studio. And when I took class there and I practiced there, I loved the environment so much that I left the place I was teaching at and started to work with her, and I've been there ever since. So she was actually in the training class with you? She was. Wow. Yeah, we actually sat and studied one day together. Little did I know, you know, I'd right. be working with her. Did you know future. her at all before you went to the no, training? No, I didn't. And you, just, and you were like, this, is, this takes place where? Out, out west, right? Or in, California, in California. It was in right? Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah you know, I, there was something about her that was really interesting and attractive. Um, and so I just, we, you know, I asked her if she wanted to study one evening. Mm -hmm. And we, I think we studied awkward posture together. And, um, you know, just her conversation and her, you know, her countenance, mm -hmm. uh, she was memorable. And, you know, I, I didn't really make good friends with her, but I knew of her. Mm -hmm. um, and then we started working together um, many years later. That's cool. Yeah. Were, you, were you teaching yoga before you did that teacher training? No. You weren't? Not at all. What were you doing? I was running nightclubs. Wow. Yeah. With Thievery Corporation. Wow. <laughs> no, no one can see you that on the, do that on the radio, but <laughs> I, I, I guess you didn't, it, did, it wasn't for you. No, you know, because I was always talking about wellness and spirituality and longevity, and they were like, yeah, whatever, pour me another drink. You know, it wasn't really <laughs> they didn't place. Hear it. Yeah, I was in the wrong environment. I was in the wrong environment. And how many years were you doing that for? Oh, like, I was there for about a year and a half, two years, and I was in the restaurant business ever, you know, or all of my work career. Wow. Yeah. As a server? As a Manager, bartender. Manager. Wow. Yeah. And you, server. Yeah. yeah. You name it. That's a, that's a tough business, tough industry it to is. be in. It is. But it's, it, the money you can make in those industries is unbelievable. So it supported a lot of travel and mm -hmm. a lot of interest that I had. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what brought you to, uh, to, do, to try yoga? Or how, I guess how long have you been doing yoga before you did that first teacher training? Well, I mean, my mother first introduced me to yoga kind of from books as a child uh, in the living room. Um, and I went to seminars at NIH, um, different yoga philosophy. And I took my first Bikram yoga class um, 
May 15th, 2008 at 12 p.m. <laughs> and the teacher's name was Yasmin. Wow. Tell us about it. Oof. I was with some coworkers, um, and they decided to go. And they told me about that they were going to a yoga class, and I kind of invited myself. I was like, you know, I should be in on this. And they both hated it. And while I was in the class with them, I thought to myself, as soon as I grabbed my heels on the first forward bend, I was, I thought to myself, this is what I'm going to do for a living. Really? Yep. I that's knew a pretty, it. That's a pretty powerful spark right there. Yeah, it was very clear. It was like, oh, and I thought, that girl's going to be my friend and my coworker one day. And she was, the teacher. And I went to her class last night. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's remarkable, actually. Yeah. It's like, you know, the journey is very interesting where you wind up, you know? And you wind up along, you know, different places you go along the way that almost feels like coming home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what, uh, so how how long after that first class did you, did you just go to Bikram after that? Or was it like, okay, this yoga is a thing. I'm going to try out all these different styles where you were just like. No, Bikram caught my attention. Bikram yoga um, is an exhilarating experience Mm -hmm. um, and memorable and challenging. And I'm. I was a pretty much a really skilled athlete before I even started yoga, playing football, um, swimming in high school and college, and, you know, um, biking all around the city. So I was really into fitness. So it was, a, it was that raw sort of like... The you challenge. Know, the adrenaline heat. that you loved, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's very straightforward and regimented. And, and that kind of consistency really was like melodic to me and my brain and my body it mm-hmm. really spoke to me so i knew i wanted to do it and i became a teacher three years after my you know i first started teaching um and i didn't even you know it was such an upheaval to think that i can go away for two months and i can spend this amount of money and do it so it took me a long time to really you know get to that point get up the guts to go and do it yeah, yeah. and to get my resources together and really um make that step yeah well i mean Look, a lot of people don't sort of realize this, but discipline's a big part of yoga, you know, and being able to actually uh, plan something out like that and, and go through with it, that's, is very yogic doing that. Yes, and Raja, your concentration power. It yeah. takes a long time when you focus on something to materialize it and manifest it, but that was the first time I had done that as far as yoga's concerned. I can see this, right. I want to do this, and I can create it. Right. Yeah. So when you uh, so when you went out to do the the first teacher training, you already had it in mind. Okay, I'm going to be a teacher. This is what I want to do. I had my before I even got out of the training. My first class was scheduled. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I you know where I started was a really nurturing place, and it was you know expected that you know you're going to come out. This is what you're going to do. This is what your schedule is going to be. I was working at the studio before um, mm-hmm. I started teaching at the studio. I used to clean the stairs. Wow. I mean, this is like my eat, pray, Your love karma story. Yoga. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I used to wash the stairs at this yoga studio and say to myself, one day you're going to teach here. Where was that? DuPont Circle. DuPont Circle. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, there's five flights of stairs before you can get to the, <laughs> before you can so get to the no front small, door. It was no small chore. Yeah, yeah. No. So, you know, I mean, that was a spiritual practice in itself. That's great. Yeah. And it's still, it's still there, yeah. right? It's still there. And is it just Bikram now or is it the heated they yoga? They do a lot of different you know, things. So. Yeah. But I keep it Bikram 24-7. And is that the place? So when I first moved to D.C., there was this studio. It was like on the second floor, like just north of DuPont Circle. And the windows would always be like frosted with body heat. Is that the studio? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I know, I know exactly the studio. Yeah, I've never been there, but I know exactly the place. It's a great view. Very yeah. few yoga rooms have windows where you can look out at trees, 
at pedestrian mm-hmm. and at the city bus lane. It's yeah. really awesome. Yeah, and actually, it, it, that is true. Uh, but having done yoga so much in uh, like New York, for example, where a lot of studios are actually like in office buildings mm-hmm. and like there are no windows. We have it pretty good, actually, here in D.C. for the We most do. Part. I've heard a lot of stories about how claustrophobic, how low the ceilings are, mm-hmm. how stinky and hot they can be in, in like, New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a different, it's a totally different vibe up yeah. there. Well, I don't know. There are different vibes everywhere, wherever you go. Indeed. You know? um, so, I guess we just maybe get into, well, was there anything that drew you to yoga besides the athleticism? Was there, you know, a lot of people talk about, like, for me, for example, I went into yoga because I was living a very... Um, self-destructive lifestyle and I wanted to sort of change that and turn that around. I didn't know yoga was going to do that. Like I didn't think it was going to be some sort of panacea, but I looked at it as a step in the right direction for me to do it myself. Um, was that the case for you or were you just sort of like, okay, I'm just going to do this because I like, I miss something, doing something athletic. No, I had problems. Yeah. I mean, most people who come into yoga aren't skipping down the street saying my life is so great. I think I'll just try this class, you know? Right. Um, you know, I had struggled with anxiety and depression. Um, I was in an unhappy marriage. Um, I was nervous all the time. Um, I had no direction. I was lost. I didn't have a spiritual practice. I mean... To name a few, so I mean that that covers a lot right there. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you did you grow up religious at all or spiritually at all? Well, in my family, we 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 change religions a lot. Oh wow! Because my mother kind of let us explore. Yeah. So you know, we we did a lot of meditation. We studied Islam. We studied Christianity. So I was primed from a young age to see the oneness of all faiths. That's that's pretty extraordinary. Yeah. It Thanks, was Mom. Kind of. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so you were in a place that, that was, yeah, I wasn't doing well. Yeah, I wasn't doing well. Um, and I just took a, a risk. I didn't have anything to lose. Right. So I tried it and it made me feel better. Yeah. And then I tried it again and I felt better again. And then I thought maybe if I can accumulate this good feeling, it could actually change something. Yeah. And it did. Did you, when you started doing, when you started practicing, did you do it every day or was it, was it something that was like most students? I was sporadic. Um, you know, you think most people think I'll just go in, fix myself and then I can leave. Right. It doesn't really work like that. And you also fall in love with the practice and with yourself and with the community. So I was kind of like a back and forth student. Um, I would practice once a week, then twice a week, then three times a week. Then I would go away for two months and then I would come back and then do consistent mm-hmm. two times a week and then you know this is the pattern i see my students do on a regular basis oh, yeah. how you commit mm-hmm. and eventually around the second year i was going regularly i was commanding my time in a way where it had to align with my practice right made yeah. it a priority yeah yeah um so maybe before we get into the training give us the background on bikram yoga like how it's set up what it is because there's some students who listen who may just be doing, for example, vinyasa, um, or they may be doing power yoga, or they may be doing Mysore, which is you know, completely different. Um, so give us like the kind of overview of, of what a Bikram class looks like. A Bikram class is uh, two breathing exercises and 26 postures in a room that's heated to at least 105 degrees at 40% humidity. Um, the class is 90 minutes long, 45 minutes of it is standing. 45 minutes of it is on the floor. We do two sets of every posture except for the last posture. Um, And most students are advised just to stay in the room. It starts there. We say the same thing. 
And we do the same thing every day. And the repetition of the practice allows you to attempt the postures the same way every day and watch yourself grow and do them better. And you hear the same thing every day, so you understand it on a deeper level and you learn its subliminal meaning. It's also reaches every aspect of your body, um, physically, emotionally, and psychologically. So it's uh, fantastic for your health. Yeah, did you find yourself growing? Like, did, were you already healthy when you started practice, or you were? I was physically healthy, probably yeah. not psychologically balanced. But you know, those components need to balance themselves out. So you know, they Bikram says there's three kind of students that come into the class: uh, junk body, screw loose brain, and lost soul. <laughs> I didn't have a junk body. Right. I had screw loose brain and lost soul. Right. Yeah. And so what happens is the the totality of the practice aligns all those things together. So you feel a harmony between those parts of your being. For you, what was the or what is the uh, joy in doing the same practice uh, every day? Or doing the same, the, sorry, doing the same postures every day. Watching the improvement over over the years um, is really not about the postures. Um, the postures, you learn more about yourself. How do you react? How do you respond? What do you think? Uh, how do your muscles react? How do your thoughts react? How do your joints react? I mean, you have an opportunity to see what you're thinking. Um, and if you're not paying attention, so you think that you're doing the same thing every day, but you show up different every day. You have many different cycles, different hours you slept. Um, and men have cycles too. So er everyone is on, mm -hmm. you know, that flux every day. So you get a chance to learn about yourself in flux. Yeah, that's what I hear uh, from a lot of uh, students who do Mysore, who do the Ashtanga practice, which is similar. It's the, it's the same sequence pretty much every day. Even if you, you're adding postures and adding postures, you still have to do the postures, you know, the, the lead up to that. Um, and yeah. I, find that, I find that a fascinating way to, um, to practice yoga because a lot of yoga is about trying to let go of or trying to become aware of reactions, A, and then let go of reactions that don't serve you, B. Uh, and so doing the same thing every day while it might seem sort of mindless is actually really mindful because you, you change, right? And that, that, that becomes basically the control in the experiment of your body, right? If yoga is a science, that's the control part in your body and your mind is, you know. Exactly. Yeah. My favorite teacher, Jim Callett, always reminds me that the fundamental principle of Bikram Yoga is that it never changes and the goal is self-realization. And so through that unchanging, you know, law of practice, you get to see mm -hmm. yourself. So tell us about the actual teaching of the class, right? There's a, there's a script, right, yeah. for, for the class. Yeah, tell us about that. Well, it's called the dialogue, and it's a set of action words that um, neurologically connect a student's brain to their body um, through the activation of the greatest command center in their body, which is their willpower. And so you tell them the same instructions every single day, and, you know, they interpret them differently every day. Mm -hmm. And so I, I tell my students that we provide six things. Heat, humidity, dialogue, which is that script, mm -hmm. instruction. Instruction and dialogue are different because relating the dialogue to what I see in the room is instruction. Um, so we got heat, humidity, dialogue, instruction, timing, and inspiration. You mm -hmm. know, trying to convince you to do it. So... The dialogue is a, a set of action words that right. get you to um, operate your body um, with command. Now, does the um, does the dialogue give you room to 
Um, how does the dialogue allow you to put your own personal stamp on the practice? Well, I tone. Guess? You know, the greatest impact on the nervous system is tone. Okay. So, you know, I could, you know, I could say the greatest impact on the nervous system is tone. <laughs> or I could say the greatest, you know, it's, right. it's how I say those words and how the message is received. It's really not the words. Right. In the beginning, it's the words. So it's really the concept of it's not what you do, but how you do. It's not what you say, but how you say it. Yeah. So then you start to understand the subliminal meaning. For instance, like in the, po in the class, we say something's going to hurt six times in the class. But it's a different way all six times. So you really have to think about You really have to discern. So you really start to understand the hidden, me hidden, hidden meaning excuse me, mm -hmm. of what is being said, how it's being said, and what it means. Because it's not straight up all the time, right? Yeah. And I know we were we were we were talking yesterday on the phone a little bit. You had mentioned that you had done a lot of a lot of reading about yoga, a lot of study about yoga. Um, from what I understand, there isn't a lot of sort of textual textual study in the Bikram teacher training, or was there? Or oh not? my God! Was yes. there? Oh, oh my okay. gosh! He made us stay up all night and watch the videos of the Mahabharata. Um, ah. You know, which is you know. One See, of the I thought it was just like memorizing the dialogue and just like it, and just it did doing it that. over and over again. Yeah. yeah, it includes that. We have posture clinics um, every day. Um, we also watch the Mahabharata, which is kind of better than than reading it. I prefer reading it, but some people prefer to watch it. Depends. And um, yeah, you get the philosophy. You get a lot of philosophies from Bikram's um, seminars, you mm -hmm. know, and his talks. And he tells you what books to read. You know, he talks a lot about the Bhagavad Gita, which is one of my favorite books. I love reading it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, you get a lot of that in the in the teacher training. So one of the things that I'm I'm sort of fascinated by is the ability of teachers to bring that traditional yogic knowledge from India into our what's for lack of a better term a gymnastics class here in in the US. I mean, really when we think about it, right? This is yeah. this is this is how you stretch and tone your body, um which has nothing to do with the Bhagavad Gita, right? Right, but I mean it, if you're on the surface anyway. If you're pretty skilled teacher, you can say the dialogue and you can relate these interesting stories and um, ideas and concepts, weave them into your Within class. Within that time frame. Yeah, yeah that's totally. Cool. That's, that's, that's how you really um, make it interesting and relevant. You know, and that's, that's what I like to do. You know? right. I like to tell stories. I like to talk about um, stories that I've read in Bikram's book or um, in the Bhagavad Gita, examples of concentration or faith or determination or friendship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you have like one off the top of your head that you used recently, like how you would weave in, um, say, a philosophical, con philosophical concept or a psychological concept into a, like a yoga pose? Like, for example, what I do in my class um, is I'll have people in, uh, say, Warrior Three or a standing split for a very long period of time. And the point of which is to get them to practice patience with themselves. So they fall out. Do they get discouraged? Do they get angry? Do they get frustrated? Or do they just go back into it and develop that patience so that those feelings, those reactions of discouragement and anger and frustration go away? Right? The more you practice patience, the, the less you have time for those other things. You know, so that's sort of like one way, one way I do it in my class. And There's a really good story in, in one of Bikram's book about concentration. Yeah. And it talks about a... Um, um, 
a character named Drona who was um, assigned the task of training warriors. And you all, we all know who Arjuna is. He's the greatest warrior mm -hmm. of all time. And then there's Bhishma, who's the strongest. And then there's Duryodhana. And I'm not sure what he was skilled at. I forgot. But the point of the story is he takes him into a field and he says, I want you to shoot the bird in the tree. So Duryodhana goes up first and he says, I want you to tell me what you see. And he goes, uh, stand at the mark and draw your bow. And he goes, well, I see um, all creation. I see the universe. He says, sit down. Bhishma comes up and he says, um, what do you see? And he goes, um, you know, I see the cosmos. I see the tree. Uh, he says, wrong, sit down. And Arjuna comes up and he says, tell me what you see. He says, I see the tree. He says, and what else? He says, I see the bird. He says, and what else? I see the eye of the bird. He says, what else do you see? Absolutely nothing. And he says, strike your bow. And he shoots the bird in the eye. And the story is, is that learning how to not see everything and only see your aim mm -hmm. so that you can concentrate on it and strike it. Yeah, that's a nice story. It is, it's isn't nice. it? It's, it's in Bikram's Orange Book. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great way to describe concentration. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I mean, disregard is kind of like the opposite of focus. Mm -hmm. What to look at, what not to look at, you know? Because some people are really scatterbrained in class, so they're looking all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. It happens a lot. Um, have you ever taught any other classes besides Bikram? Have you ever taught like a vinyasa class? No, no. Have you ever wondered? Is it? <gasps> no. I haven't, actually. Yeah, I mean, I try not to be a jack of all trades, you know? I try not to dig up a bunch of holes and, and find a wellspring in a shallow place. Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in um, going deep in Bikram yoga. And I continue to learn. And, it, you know, Bikram says it takes 10 years to make a teacher. And I, it's so true. It's mm -hmm. true. You know, you kind of have to accept it takes a long time. And so you don't really want to water down what you're focused on. Yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I don't. I hope the, the best teachers, in my opinion, are ones who really never stop learning or evolving or becoming more experienced and more um, better at what they do. Yeah. Uh, if you if you graduate a yoga teacher training and think you know everything about yoga, boy, are you wrong. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> it's basically you're, you know you're just getting started. Yeah. You know how to teach the class, but you learn so much about teaching from teaching. It's a it's a symbiotic learning experience. It's a mutual exchange. My students have taught me about life. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so when you're doing your practice, like since it is sort of the same poses, let's take, for example, um, isn't, um, isn't hand to toe pose, isn't that one of the poses where you put your, your standing up and grabbing your big toe with one hand, is that, or with both hands, right? Head to knee. Yeah, standing head to knee. Standing head to yeah. knee. Dandiya mana yeah. So like once you get your head to your knee, like what, like what then? Like well, in other words, I guess what I'm saying is like in some some you let go of your foot, right? <laughs> and then nice. you feel like someone punched you in the quadricep, <laughs> and then you have to deal with that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's a lot that happens when you put your forehead to your knee in that posture. There's a lot. Like the deeper you go into the posture, the less able you're to do the form correctly. And so you know, going to those places correctly takes about ten years. Wow. Realistically, yeah. You can put your forehead to the knee and do it all. You know incorrectly no right. problem um like for instance when i put my forward to my knee my hip swings my hip goes back a little bit uh, my foot turns a little bit 
So what I'm learning to do is, and also when most people put their forehead to their knee, they're not looking at their belly button. That is 10 times harder than you can imagine. Yeah, Most of them are looking at the floor, myself included. Now, so then I'm trying to coordinate putting my forehead to my knee, looking at the belly button, keeping the hips square, and not letting the foot turn. I got another 10 years for that, honestly. Yeah. But I can put my forehead to my knee, but how well can I do that? Yeah. And so it's really about, it's not about the outer appearances. It's about the inner understanding. And so that kind of brings you to the eight limbs of yoga mm-hmm. because there's tons of point in the posture where you're no more looking out. You're only looking in. Mm-hmm. And what you know you're doing and you being the, you know, the regulator of what is real and not real in that posture mm-hmm. is your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, it's your, uh, it's almost romantic with yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's very intimate. Yeah. Yeah. And only you know it. And another person can observe it, but you're in control over it. And, and it, it, it takes years to develop. And that journey is um, titillating. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, to be able to, because once you can do things with your body um, correctly in a, in a yoga posture, the kind of bliss and confidence that you feel from that, nobody can take from you. Mm-hmm. Which is why it's so worth doing. It's it's it is a joy that is you know cannot be taken away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and if you're lucky, you start to realize that there's a lot of things you can do in your life besides a yoga posture that can bring you bliss and joy, and no one can take away from you. Exactly, and you start creating it, and yeah. so it's like that's the whole reason why we would even take on these things because yeah, they're technical. I mean, sometimes you have to look at the bigger picture, but sometimes you have to ne- zoom in and look at that one little detail. And then mm-hmm. you zoom back out. So it's kind of like this constant pr- process of... Yeah, expansion and contraction. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you talked a little bit about like the eight limbs of yoga and the, um, the Gita. And we love to dork out here on the DC Yoga Podcast. Uh, any other um, kind of yoga treatises or yoga like literature that you really like that you fell in love with over the years? I like the Yoga Sutras. I like the Gita. I, I like the Mahabharata. Um, so you read the you read the whole the whole Mahabharata or at least the, no I there haven't are at least read. lots of parts. I'm halfway. Um, right, and another the, ten years you'll read the other. <laughs> you know, I've it's a, it's a so big many book, things right? in rotation. Yeah. It's great though, yeah. um, and the Gita, you know, is in the Mahabharata. It's the sixth book, so it's like it just gives all the family members and all the the you know all the relationships mm-hmm. um, some context. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's basically every human experience ever recorded in life is in that book. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's it's you know it's kind of like a huge undertaking. Oh yeah, like I try to tell people is if you know for example in the West when we, with our um, with our Abrahamic religions uh, based in the Bible for a lot of them. Um, we grow up with the stories of Job and grow up with the stories of you know all these characters in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, and it's the same in, in India, from what I understand, is that the people and the people who grow up with the Mahabharata, they know all the characters. Yeah. So when we start reading it, we're like, "Who the hell is that guy? And who's that girl? Yeah. And what are they doing?" And you got to understand that they, they, in India, they learn from a very early age about this, and they know that it takes years and years and years of study of this, just yeah. just like it would be for the Bible or any other text. But the interesting thing about the Gita and the Mahabharata is, is all an allegory. Mm-hmm. All these characters are characteristics in yourself. So, I mean, reading it and, and knowing it, 
you're attaining so much insight and wisdom, um, you know, beyond anything that's just kind of like, you know, old folklore story. It really mm -hmm. goes deep into the character and human nature, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's timeless. Mm -hmm. yeah. How's your Sanskrit? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. What did you get in training? Did you did you get Sanskrit lessons, or was it just the Sanskrit from the poses? Well, the Sanskrit from the poses, no. But I I do chanting, right. um, and most of the chants that I've learned are in Sanskrit. Tell tell us a little bit about that. So it's your sort of your bhakti yoga practice. Where uh, yeah, where did you pick that up? Where did you? Um, you know that that again goes back into the eight limbs. You know, the more you practice yoga, you don't necessarily do these certain things. Mm -hmm as much as you come to experience them. Mm -hmm. And they just, you know, you become drawn to them, just like how you're drawn to the class. So, you know, I was drawn, my first mantra was the um, Shiva's mantra, um, the deathless mantra. Um, and then it was the Gayatri mantra. And now I'm on the Vishnu mantra, which is way longer and way harder. And it's going to take years to learn. So tell us a little bit more about mantras. I'm I'm woefully ignorant on mantras and mantras um, is, is just the repetition of sound, um, creating a groove in the brain um, to heal, um, and um, it has effects on the nervous system. Like the Gayatri mantra is considered the most powerful hymn in the universe. That's heavy. Yeah. Um, a lot of um, the things we have in our minds and our brain waves. Are repetition. Your thoughts are repetitious. Your doubts are repetitious. Your fears are repetitious. Mm -hmm. So mantra can get get in there and disrupt that flow, just like meditation can disrupt the flow. Mm -hmm. You're changing your brain chemistry through sound um, and through words, and it creates incredible power. Yeah. So is it? So do you have a, like a daily mantra practice, or is it? Uh, you know, is it? Pretty much. It's just, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, look, I stopped listening to regular music. I only listen to kirtan and mantras. Oh, wow. I mean, every now and again, I'll listen to some gospel or some reggae music, but I'm always like, oh, it's the vibration. It's the tone. Yeah. Again, back at the tone. Um, the feeling that you feel, the rejuvenation, the restoration you feel from the mantra, um, you know, kind of gets you attached to it. Right. Um, they say that, you know, a mantra is like, being in a well, um, a dark well, and the mantra is the rope. It will get you out. The dark well is your mind. Mm -hmm. Endless. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a place, to, it's a way to pull yourself out of your own thought pattern. Yeah. That's yeah. It's pretty cool, huh? It is pretty cool. I, I recommend trying it. Anything simple. I mean, there's tons out there. Where did you, so did you, was this something, the research you did on your own, or was it a teacher who gave you the mantras, or how did you? How just did my you, own research. research. I mean, just, mm -hmm. yeah, being drawn to um, particular, like, Hindu gods, mm -hmm. and then wanting to learn more about them, and then learning their, like, what their mantra was, and what the mantra was about, mm -hmm. and then all the stories around the mantra, and then, oh, that's pretty cool, and, yeah. you know, then, you know, getting on uh, Google, you know, finding out how to say it, and then memorizing it, then getting on YouTube, and then finding a song, and then singing along, mm -hmm. and then staying that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's and how you do it. Yeah, and it's beautiful. I mean, it's something I mean, that you can't sort of sort of being able to like go into an ashram for like two years and doing it, you know, which none well, of us can really do, right? I mean, I, mean, I have a meditation center that I go to, 
That's Which one cool. do you go to? I go to Self-Realization uh, mm. Fellowship. Uh, oh, wow, cool. Very cool, yeah. Yeah, and it's in College Park, very close to where I'm already uh, teaching. Um, it was actually a field trip mm-hmm. at a Bikram, at our Bikram teacher training. So, you know, my roommate, she went to Universal Studios. I went to, you know, SRF. And um, Rajasri Chowdhury is the one who took us. Mm-hmm. And um, his name Tell is us who that is. Rajasri um, Chowdhury is Bikram's lifelong, lifelong partner um, in yoga. And she is a, she's a PhD in yoga therapy. And she is just wonderful. Her presence mm-hmm. is unforgettable. And she took us there. Mm-hmm. And we went on a tour. And again, this is all based on vibration. When I got there, I went to a service. We meditated. And I had, it was, I had, there was a tour. It was, I think, called um, Lake Shrine. Mm-hmm. Lake Shrine Temple. And um, I sent my mom a bunch of pictures. I was like, look, I went to this place. And she says, hey, guess where I'm going? I'm going to this place called SRF in D.C. Do you want to come with me? Same place, different state. <laughs> so you see, again, this is kind of serendipitous. Yeah, kind of absolutely. This like weaving of experiences, you know, just kind of following your nose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so tell us a little bit more about the, and we'll just do it really quickly. Tell us a little about the, the teacher training for, for Bikram. It's pretty intense. It is. It's, it's pretty much like a 16 hour day. You, you wake up, uh, classes at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, and classes also at 5 PM. Um, you have to sign in for every class that you take. If you fail to sign in for class, you have to repeat that class. Um, Classes are usually taught by a senior teacher in the morning and Bikram in the evening. In between the two classes, you have lunchtime, posture clinics, um, or lectures. Mm-hmm. After class, you have study time and lectures and movies. Mm-hmm. Usually, you get to bed anywhere between 11 and 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> class yeah. is always the same time. Right. It's kind of like... Uh, you're in a hotel. The ballrooms are designated for all the different, um, you know, uh, functions of the training, mm-hmm. and you live there. So you do yoga. You talk about yoga. You do yoga. You talk about yoga some more, and that's it. And how many people were in the teacher training with you the first time? My teacher training had 430 people in Holy it shit. from 30 different countries. That's that's incredible. Yeah. What's that like doing yoga in a room with 436 people? Awesome. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I mean, it really teaches you about connection because you could just look across the room and shake your head on a really hard day, and someone would look at you with like, <laughs> I know exactly how you feel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was great. I mean, the whole, so the first, they have like, it's nine weeks. So the first two weeks, you're like, what the hell was I thinking? You know, the second week, third week, fourth week, you're like, can I go home? And then after that, you're like, please, I never want to go home. Hmm. And so then the last five weeks, you're like coasting. Your body's in a routine. You understand what's expected of you. You know what to do. You know who everybody is. Right. And then you're like, wow, I'm in a yoga bubble. This is awesome. I never want to go home. And by the last week, you're like, please, could I just stay? Yeah. And it's time to go. I bet after, I bet after that length of time, you, you walk out of there, you're in pretty good shape. Huh? Excellent. Sh- best shape of your life. Yeah. 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 Really, every single person. I mean, I gained 15 pounds because I was a little weakling, but, um, you know. Just muscle. Yeah. 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 You know, and I was like, I had a really strict diet, so, you know, but I gained some weight. You know, it balances you out. If you need to lose weight, you'll lose it. If you need to gain it, you'll gain it. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's that's pretty it awesome. It works. It works. I mean, Bikram yoga is incredible for your health and overall wellness maintenance. Yeah. Um, so I guess well, let's move a little bit on to teaching. You're a full-time teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find this like, I, I love this sort of topic of conversation. Like how, how do you make it work? Because it seems to me like just teaching classes, how many classes do you teach? Do you teach? I teach 12 classes a week. 12 teachers. Yeah. Um, cause most of the, like the most instructors I know that are full-time yoga teachers, they teach like 20, 30 classes a week. How long are those classes? They're all either between an hour and an hour and a half. That's amazing. And then that's because of the pay scale. That's what they have to do in order to make enough money to live in DC. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I always tell, you know, you new yoga teachers is it's great if you want to teach yoga full time, but you have to have a side gig. Like you have to have something that, um, gives you either you know uh health insurance or a 401k or something that will something will supplement because just living off the proceeds of a yoga class is, is very very hard depends on what your needs are yes. yes um i'm fortunate that you know i have enough um classes right to maintain myself but i did used to have a side gig and it's a slow process of kind of filling up your schedule to the point where you feel like you can make it right. um and it's it's a trade off too so there's there's a lot of it's like you're li- walking on the you're living on the edge until you finally you know jump you yeah. know and most of us do okay you know because we get a lot in lifestyle that we can't get in other environments yeah. certain things you can't pay for yeah so. it's that old adage that like money yeah. can't buy everything exactly yeah I agree yeah but I I I make it just fine um mm-hmm. with twelve classes and I think I'll probably have like thirteen or fourteen but like. That's the that's that's my line right there. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty good living right there. It's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I you're not gonna it. you're not gonna get uh, you're not gonna get materially wealthy teaching yoga, but you are gonna get wealthy in terms of like what I would consider wealth. It depends. Yoga. It depends. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's a limited field. Right. I, I mean, it depends on who you're working for, what you're doing. Um, how reliable you are, how exciting your classes are. I mean, the sky's the limit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just well, as long as you work hard in yeah. a, lot of, a lot of senses. Yeah, it, I it mean is, it is one of those it is one of those professions I think where the harder you work, the more it pays off. Like there's yeah. not sure there's a little bit of like who you know, but for the most part, like if you teach a kick ass yoga class, people are gonna come and you'll be successful. Yeah. And like if you take your if you take your class seriously and you um, really honor your students and your class and the actual practice, then people will feel that. Yeah, Bikram always says, if someone doesn't buy a membership after your class, something's wrong. Right. Yeah, like they need to want to come back and commit. And, you know, because you're trying to save their life, mm-hmm. trying to get them involved in something that can do that. Did you ever want to open your own studio someday? I never have. Really? No. I can Which see is, it in your eyes. You, you are you are telling the truth. I, I would yeah, <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. Um, I don't feel seduced by that at all, and that's another reason why um, you know my boss Kendra and I are such a great team because you know that I think was her vision from day one. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, great, because all I want to do is teach, and then you can be the boss, and you know we can work side by side. We won't be competing, but that's that's the truth. You know? So she she didn't own any studios before she got out of that training. No. So, so then she basically got the training was like, that's it, I'm opening a studio, and she made it happen. Yeah, eventually, right yeah. I mean, you know, I think it was about, I guess, three years, maybe two or three years after being a teacher. 
That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, and now it's like really grown. Yeah, I, b- I bet. Yeah, I mean, six studios is a big deal. Talk about some of the, um, you know, you don't have to go into specifics, but talk about sort of the types of people that come to your class or like the, the population, the community that you have coming to your class. Gamut of humanity, all types. Yeah. You know, yeah, some people I would never spend time with had they not been doing Bikram Yoga. Mm-hmm. Some people that I want to take home with me in my book bag, you know, some people <laughs> that, you know what I mean? Yeah. All kinds of people. Um, yeah, different age groups. You know, our studio is really diverse. So you kind of get, you know, everyone's represented, every age group, every physical capability. You know, I've had students that are missing limbs, students that are in wheelchairs, um, you know, deaf students, um, mm-hmm. all kinds of students doing the class and all having the same experience, same struggle. Yeah. 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 And how do you, how do you, and maybe you don't know this, how do you work the sort of memberships at, at Bikram Yoga Studio? Is it like a, it's a class or is it, is you buy a group of packages? We have a variety of packages. Okay. I mean, because everyone likes to buy yoga in a different way. Yeah. So we have a variety of packages to meet your, your needs, whether it's commitment, time, or finance. Right. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, I teach uh, I teach at the Yards location at, at Vita, and my classes are pretty um, uh, pretty uh, varied as well uh, in terms of types of people that come in. Yeah. You know, old, young, um, all different body types, all different races, all different religions. They all come in there, and it, it's like it's one of those those great things that is so often I think lost in uh, some yoga circles about uh, how. Um, yoga is literally for everybody um, because of sort of the the way yoga likes to um, be sort of in a, in a lot of ways not every way but some the yoga community tends to be very insular in a lot of ways they tend to make it seem very like mystical exclusive, exclusive exactly and I really you know I really reject that and rebel against that um, because it's such a beautiful practice. Why wouldn't you want to share it with everybody? Why would you want to make it a some sort of secret club? Yeah, know? that's why it's so imperative to hook a student. That's why it's so imperative to share it with someone because it's for everyone. I mean, I've taken classes at studios where I've, you know, before Bikram, um, where I felt ignored. No one, you know, I, I, no one knew my name. Right. No one asked me how I was doing. It was all almost as if I wasn't there. And that didn't feel good. And I'd never went back, you know? And we don't want that to happen mm-hmm. at all. You know? So that is that is actually one of the... Um, so we talked yesterday. I've only been to a couple of Bikram classes. Uh, and what, But one of the things that... One of the things that was surprising to me, and I, I'm sure they do this in the training. I want you to share the secret with us if you can. Everyone, everyone I went to... The teacher knew everybody's name in the mm-hmm, class. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it, like it was if it was they had learned how to do that. Like, is there some trick they tell we, you in training, like how no, to how to actually, memorize? Names? You just had a really good teacher. Um, really, some people don't, but you need to know their name. You yeah. know, Bikram Yoga is so commanding, and you're gonna get you're gonna get into someone's mind. It, it'd be nice to say, you know, Chris, as opposed to a guy in the black shorts. Right. You know, I mean, and it's intimate and. I'm going to be working as your greatest ally in that moment. I need to talk to you with some respect and, you know, understanding right. of who you are. And it starts with your name. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, knowing people's names is a skill that you pick up in Bikram Yoga. I went to a seminar one time where there was 53 people in the seminar. Yeah. And the person conducting the seminar 
said every single person's name before it started, and I was blown away. See, I I, I could have sworn there was some there was some trick to I, doing there's that no because trick. because like there was I mean the classes that I went to there would be like there would be thirty people in the class and he knew everybody's name including mine who yeah. had just shown up. Yeah, I mean that's what we do. Impressive. Yeah, I mean when you sign a student in, you look at them, you make that interface with them, right. you connect for that moment, and and also when you watch them do the breathing and you watch them do the first couple postures, you know a lot about them. Yeah, and they become kind of unforgettable. You know, it's it's they're unique. Yeah. You see it. You see their thumbprint and you're like, oh, OK, it, it's associated with their name. And then, mm -hmm. then it's just kind of in there. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about the the breathing practices in the Bikram, uh, because one of the things that I like to do in my classes and I like to encourage people when they do my yoga teacher training is to bring as much of the other eight limbs of which pranayama is one mm -hmm. uh, into the practice. And you don't normally in like a power yoga or vinyasa class see a whole bunch of breathing techniques tell us a little bit about the the two ones that you do in, in the bikram sequence well pranayama and kapalabhati you know pranayama is just an inhale through the nose and an exhale out of the mouth but all the time using the throat um harder than it sounds yeah uh, most people really pull the air strong through the nostrils and don't use your throat at all really you're constricting the muscles inside your throat um, to control the pace of air going into the lungs. You're also using your abdomen to isolate your lungs, sucking the stomach in, trying to get um, the bottom lobes of your lungs hyperoxygenated. Mm -hmm. You're trying to expand your lung capacity to its 100% capacity as opposed to the average 40%. So the form of the posture and the breathing, is, which is six count in, six count out, a lot going on when you're trying to do it. You're trying to breathe, you're trying to pace it, and you're also trying to contract certain muscle groups mm -hmm. um, in order to really use the maximum capacity of your lungs. Um, in the Kapalabhati, in the end of the class, you know, most people have a hard time moving their belly in that one, um, but you're just blowing out, like you're blowing out birthday candle or blowing out a meditation candle across the room. Um, it's pretty simple, um, but it, it's kind of rapid. Mm -hmm. at the end and it generates a lot of heat and dizziness yeah yeah and for the rest of the class you're basically just not holding your breath that's easier said than done as well yeah. because every posture your body wants to take air in a different way yeah so what you're trying to do is come allow that breathing process mm -hmm. to happen um in each posture which is pretty much when everything in the postures are happening perfectly yeah we have this tendency to whenever there is a tense moment to hold our breaths exactly and uh if you you know one comes to yoga to get more tension in their lives they want to get less yeah and breathing is is an issue it's the number one nutrient for the body so it's number one you know mm -hmm. and if that's the first thing to go it's like that's a that's a problem for us you know and you know we have a saying you know when there's perfection in asana then and only then there's realization of pranayama so mm -hmm. when you can just breathe like nothing's going on like how we're breathing right now but in you know the last 3 seconds of the hardest posture mm -hmm. then you've succeeded yeah yeah no so, ruffling yeah <laughs> the last so the um the, the recertifications that you did with bikram mm -hmm. did you find yourself learning more and more and more or was it just like or was it sort of like okay i know that and i know that or Yes, it was a lot of validation from what I've been doing since I got trained. Right. Uh, also, I mean, he loads you with so much information that you're like, oh, yeah, you did say that. And so it was a lot of refreshing um, and also like shock. 
can't believe I did this for nine weeks. It's so hard, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah, that was basically physically challenging, um, re-inspiring, just to remind you uh, what you're doing. And um, yeah, that's what research is all about. And also getting a chance to give back and talk to the people who are going through it for the mm-hmm. first time. Be a mentor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is really fun to try to inspire and you know encourage. Trust the process. Keep going. Mm-hmm. You're gonna make it. I didn't think I'd make it, but I'm I'm making it. I have full time job. It'll be okay. <laughs> you know, keep listen. I you know I told them listen to your teachers. They're not lying. Yeah. You know that's the main thing that 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 I got out of training. When I look back, I realize how much of what Bikram said was absolutely true. Yeah. And when you go out into the field and you start teaching, you start to think of him more and more because it's like every lesson he taught you, you see in the world and in, in humanity and in your classes. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do any uh, cross training? Do you do, or you do, do you do any, you said I you were an athlete to. before, not anymore. I used to like, it took me a long time to commit my body to, to Bikram yoga only. Right. So that I can control the group. So I can understand what's happening. You know, I can't really figure out if I have inflammation from riding my bike or from pushing too hard in the postures. So I, and I love riding my bike. Um, so, I ended that, and I only do Bikram yoga. Um, Or, you know, I tried a couple other things, but they didn't really scratch the itch like Bikram yoga does. They didn't. I mean, they were fun, you know, and there's a lot of cool teachers around and a lot of great places to go, but hearing the dialogue is like my favorite song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now it's kind of like, you know, like a great tune. Have you uh, ever gotten injured? You know, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So tell us How about could that. I forget? Wow, it's amazing. It's like giving birth, you know? You're like, I forgot how painful. You yeah. Know? Yeah, okay, so it goes like this. For a long time, I thought standing splits was going to save my life. Mm-hmm. So I realized it wasn't. Um, you know, I'm, I come from the steel factory, meaning I'm more strong than I am flexible. I have to be careful. I have to bring my strength down to the level of my true flexibility so I don't hurt myself. Mm-hmm. Before I really knew that, though, I would try to pull my legs apart so extreme that, you know, I tore some things. Yeah. Yeah. What did you learn from it? To back off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, seriously, like, like to the point where in the locker room, like, Ambia, take it easy today. And for many months after that, as soon as I got in the room, all bets were off and I would go right back to what I was used to doing. Yeah. You know? But gradually over time, I'm like, Ambia take it easy so you know i got and guess what posture got deeper when i took it easy exactly no shit so So, it's like you know you know it's like you know you don't you try to tell someone take it easy and they're like yeah right so you know but really and truly if you take it easy you get more out of it no you had to injure yourself to learn that yeah yeah and it wasn't it wasn't too traumatic it wasn't too long lasting it was just you know, it's good when the lesson sticks, mm-hmm. and that's how that goes. Nothing major, though. Yeah, I mean, I am not always astonished at this point, but somewhat astonished when I hear stories about yoga teachers injuring themselves in classes because uh, one of the things we're trying to teach is, you know, to kind of get out of the type A mindset, you know, if you can for a little bit. Um, and we, we all fall into that trap, and, you know, it happens from time to time. Um, but it's why in my own personal practice, I try not to 
I think it's a DC thing. Well, that that is what I was. was We are Taipei, not playing around. Yeah. Yeah, we do our yoga like seriously. Yeah. Because you go to other. I travel. I mean, I've taught in other places in California. And they're like, yeah, I'll get into the posture, you know, whatever. And yeah, I was, like, in, oh. I, I was in a class this morning. And I swear the girl next to me was giving herself a hernia. I mean, the look on her face was just, I was like. She had that vein in her forehead about to burst. Exactly, yeah. And like yeah. the teeth, I mean, I, you know, and I kind of was looking at her. I, you know, And I'm sort of like the biggest jackass in the world. I, I wasn't always. When I, when I used to take class, I was sort of that type A person. And I was determined to do every single pose as vigorously as possible. Uh, until I injured myself one time, and after that, I sort of get into classes, and I'm just sort of always smiling. Yeah, it's now just, I just it, make faces I don't, at myself. Like if I want to, if if I want to stretch, like I'll go grab a towel and sit at home and stretch my hamstring. Yeah, you know, I'll I'll do that. But if I want to practice yoga, um, I'll be you know in a yoga studio looking, finding a way to let go. You know. Um, yeah. So all right. We're going to wrap up a little bit here. Um, and uh, wanted to mention something, uh, if you're still with us. Mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been looking at my analytics, and a lot of people tune out after about 40 minutes. I hope they have tuned in the whole entire time. Um, and uh, there's a lot of controversy around uh, Bikram Chowdhury and the practice of Bikram itself that we didn't talk about today. Um, and by and I, and B and I um, decided not to talk about it uh, for lots of very, we think, valid reasons. Uh, first of which was this is the DC Yoga podcast and not the LA Yoga podcast, uh, and we really also wanted to get into the experience, um, her experience of the practice, and the controversy um, doesn't have anything to do with it. Uh, and sort of lastly, uh, this is a show about the experience and people's experiences with yoga. Um, it is not a talk show designed to create more controversy um, than we already have. Uh, and so I really um, resisted the temptation to uh, to talk about it. And um, thank you very much uh, for for being here and being so being so sweet and offering literally everything about yourself. That that really is awesome. Um, and uh, finally, we do have some announcements of stuff, workshops, and stuff that you have coming up. Let lay it on us. Well, if you'd like to visit our website, we're at BikramYogaWorks.com. Um, you can also follow us on all social media at BikramYogaWorks. Um, we also have an upcoming training. Um, it's called CEOU. It's happening uh, Monday, October 22nd from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. It's all about creating a clear vision for your business, learning how to leverage your online presence to attract clients and build a powerful brand and really develop a business model. And lastly, Bikram Yoga Work Studios are independently owned and operated, and each location was conceived with you in mind. Our intention is really to provide you with an exceptional experience from the moment that you walk into our studios until you leave our doors. Um, We have state-of-the-art facilities, offer a friendly environment, and several amenities for your comfort and convenience, including plenty of parking, spacious locker rooms, and ample showers. Um, We also offer a range of classes, not just Bikram Yoga, including Life Stretch, Hot Pilates, and Hot Bar. Fantastic. Thank you. You know, if I'm never, if I'm not available for my podcast, I think I'll let you run it. That was beautifully said. Thanks. You know, we speak for a living. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, all right. So, uh, once again, you're listening to the DC Yoga Podcast. Um, signing off for this episode. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, uh, just email me at dcyogapodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we'll see you guys all again on the next episode. Take care. <laughs>